Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Faith here with a welcome toast. It was Vince Statton who said, barbecue is 99% perspiration and 1% sauce. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in small bites or eat the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry. We have coming up a celebration of the Bloody Mary. Everybody loves them, and we've got so much on the show. The documentary film that's coming out, it's world premiere in New Haven, celebrating New Haven restaurants and food trucks. We have a wine discovery for you on the show. Lots and lots to talk about, stuff we're really excited about. My treasured food buddies are here, senior contributors Chris Brosberry, Alex Province, and Robin Doyan Aiken is our senior producer. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey! All right, so we have an exciting show ready for you. We're going wild with the Bloody Mary to start, and we hope to hear from you on Facebook. Think about your first sip of a well-made Bloody Mary, the mm. tomato tang, the horseradish depth, the heat of hot sauce, a touch of celery salt that does something indescribable, I think, and the vodka holding it all together. Before we talk fabulous recipes, do you know, does anybody know who invented the Bloody Mary? There's a lot of debate about this. Okay, first of all, of course there is, and disagreements. But in the 1920s, a guy named Pete Petiot, he's a well-known American bartender working in Paris, and he was introduced to two new things. Russians were arriving with real Russian vodka. People hadn't uh, tasted that before. Yeah. And Americans started bringing in canned tomato juice. Sure. So Petio began experimenting, and eventually, of course, he's a bartender. He puts the two together, and what came to be called the Bloody Mary was born, and bartenders got jiggy with it, adding a celery <laughs> stick for swizzle, <laughs> Worcestershire sauce, hot pepper, horseradish, celery salt on the rim. It became the rage in New York when an Astor, Mr. Astor, brought Mr. Petio and his classic creation from Paris to New York City, and he installed him at the renowned King Cole Bar, telling him to let loose his Bloody Mary concoction upon the world, which he did, and customers fell in love. Everybody started copying it. And since then, the Bloody Mary has been endlessly, often thrillingly hacked. Mm. You have to admit, it has been hacked by home and professional bartenders who want to spin the classic. Has it always (laughs) been called Bloody Mary? No. It started out as something else that... I'm not even sure it had a name. We'll find out from our guest who knows the history better than I do. I mean, I did a lot of research for this. but um, French name, maybe. It was was a kind of nothing in the beginning, and it became a thing. I'm interested in finding out what it is. So let's talk about our favorites because we want to talk with you on Facebook about this. Mm, This is my cocktail. If there's a cocktail I drink on a regular basis, yeah. it is this. Only at and, brunch, or do you do it like at no, dinner? Or? No, at dinner. or No, not at dinner, but in the afternoon, like if I get home early. It, it doesn't have to be with vodka. Okay. Right? I can just drink this as a Virgin Mary. 
I just love I the agree. flavor profile of it. Okay, so, so how would you, what would be your ideal way of having a Bloody Mary? Or where have you gone where oh, you say okay, they make so, the best Okay, ever? so just this last Sunday, I took my parents to brunch at West Street Grill in Litchfield. And hands down, they make one of the best Bloody Marys in the state. It's West chunky. Street Grill. It's spicy. I just love it with a lot of oomph and a lot of flavor. And, and texture, it and sounds texture, like. And texture, yeah, and spice. And not just salt. You want it to have, like, yeah, you know, that lemon. Body, body. body. Lemon. And, so right? yours is, yeah. you like the chunkiness. I like the chunky, and the, the horseradish forward and the zippiness of, of the. Yeah. West Street Grill in Litchfield, yeah. Connecticut. Worcestershire okay. sauce. Alex yeah. Province. So I like mine at 35,000 feet. When I'm traveling, <laughs> I love a Bloody Mary, like, on a plane. You do. Nice. And, and what they, are they doing? Just putting in regular tomatoes? Mr. and Mrs. Keys, yeah. The, the, the already bottled, oh, yeah. yeah, and there's some good you know, ones good? out there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's good. And then you know they, they'll give you the one bottle of the single serve, and if you're nice to your flight attendant, maybe you get two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, yeah. So you use vodka in yours, vodka, because yeah. the hacking has involved now oh, using tequila. substituting. Other, we'll get, yeah. we're going to get to that. Okay, uh, Robin, do you have a favorite place, or do you make one at home? Well, I'm kind of a, a Bloody Mary novice. You know, your research for this show was academic, and mine was purely tasting stuff. <laughs> so I really. <laughs> And that I should have been drinking Let's Bloody Marys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got the tomato juice but out and the vodka. Listen, I, I remember our first cocktail competition. And the winning cocktail was a restaurant that did a Bloody Mary, but it was... It they, was white. It, it was they, clear. Yeah, they strained it and they, they refined really? it and they, they used clarified tomato it. water. Yeah. Instead oh. of... Yeah. You squeeze the tomato and clear liquid comes out, not red. And that's how they strained and strained and strained. And this cocktail that had all good. the flavor of Bloody Mary, but it was it totally... Was it was mind-blowing because it was totally clear. <laughs> all right. To this day, my own favorite Bloody Mary was served uh, 20 years ago at a waterfront bar in Provincetown where there was this fleet of waiters, one more handsome than the next, by the way, and they all <laughs> wore these white Navy officer uniforms and hats, you know, with the visor. <laughs> Into the blender, they would put clamato juice, Chris. Oh, that's one of my favorites. A cup of local fresh cooked clams, whole clams. Nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Worcestershire sauce, yep. hot sauce, horseradish, celery salt, and then they buzz it up and serve it in these tall glasses with a straw and a spoon. Yum. <laughs> because it had oh, chunks, tiny clam. chunks of clams. Is oh the place God. still there it now? It sounded like, first of all, I had one every day at 4 o'clock, cocktail nice. hour, and it was in open air, and you'd overlook the gorgeous harbor in Provincetown every single day for my two-week vacation. Sadly, <laughs> the original place is not there. I vowed to make... The Clam Bloody Mary this summer, just the way it was done, maybe adding my own spin, and I think that's going to be some, as you might guess, fried up bacon till it's crispy, Ooh, oh. and then crumbled on the top of the drink. So, it's so like it would a be clam casino. Bacon. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh put clams some peppers casino. in there. Oh, that's crazy all right, good. so you're going to hear right now about all the ways drink makers have been creating the new Bloody Mary, riffing on the classic, and um, sometimes shifting away from vodka or celery salt, adding some wild stuff. But our test in the end, before we start this conversation, is no matter how creative it is, does it really taste good? As good or even better than the original classic. It's as simple as that. This is a fun show. We have guests coming your way uh, who know the Bloody Mary world. But we want to talk with you during the show 
and after the show on Facebook. So please tell us now or later where you get your favorite Bloody Mary or Bloody Mary mix or what you do at home to make yours and share your post with all your friends so we can hear. If you have any friends in other countries, please do that. Share it with them too because we want to hear, is this being hacked in other countries? What are their spices? Maybe somebody in Tunisia or Italy, somebody's making Bloody Mary that's killer good, and we should know about what they're doing. So (laughs) feel free to invent all new Bloody Marys, you know, in writing. Say, I've never made this before, but I would think this would be good. Take a picture. Yep. We're on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Then share it with your friends all over the place so we can hear lots and lots of stuff from you. Here we go. We're going to go to our guest right now. And he is Brian Bartles, and he has done a book called The Bloody Mary. Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. We really enjoyed your book. I'm going to start with a bang. I want to go straight to a recipe because we have this poured in our glasses right now. Mm. It is your barbecue Bloody Mary. You know, we've been talking about how people are hacking the Bloody Mary. What do you hear this? Tomato juice, vodka, beef drippings or beef broth, which gives it this incredible body. Yep. Uh, Worcestershire sauce, prepared horseradish, sriracha sauce, celery salt, freshly ground black pepper, teaspoons of salt, and the juice of half a lemon. How about that? Where'd you get this recipe? The one and only Chris Lilly, who is the chef and head pitmaster of Big Bob Gibson's Barbecue in Alabama. He um, yeah. he participates in the Big Apple Barbecue every summer, uh, and it's an amazing festival celebrating all things barbecue. And I, to this day, have never forgotten my first time trying his barbecue. And I reached out to him. Lo and behold, he had one pretty much right at the hip that he shot from. So. <laughs> well, this is, I, I just think this beef drippings is genius. Sometimes yeah, it's amazing. I, it's amazing. I put yeah. beef drippings in my salad dressing because it gives it this back note of richness that is so incredible, <laughs> but I've never thought about it for Bloody Mary. What a smart thing to do. It really is, yeah. I don't know if Chris got the recipe or was inspired by the Bloody Bull, which is a, a variation on a Bloody Mary with okay. beef broth that started in the 80s by a uh, um, very reputable cocktail master named Dale DeGroff. Yeah, um, I'll say. You're absolutely right. The richness is elevated, and it just kind of brings a whole new flavor of um, uh, umami. Yeah. We wanted to mention that this is at our website with a beautiful picture, the Barbecue Bloody Mary. You'll find it at foodschmooze.org and a description of the book by our guest, Brian Bartles. So, Brian, it feels like a meal. <laughs> yeah, the, it's the richness it. of the beef Many broth. Many Marys do have that, yeah, kind of <laughs> appeal to it. The so, first meal of the day, as some say. <laughs> so we have a wild one coming your way. But but I want to go to something more traditional. But we do, I'm telling you, it is the wildest Bloody Mary I've ever heard of. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, the original Bloody Mary, we have yep. this on the site too. We'll get to history in just a second. For your original Bloody Mary, what's in it? Well, it's really straightforward, actually. It inhabits vodka, tomato juice, and lemon juice. And that's when it decides whether or not it wants to get a little more creative with the extra ingredients, the, the pepper, the Tabasco, um, or celery salt. But the really straightforward ingredients were established in Mr. Boston's Deluxe Official Bartender's Guide. Can I ask you this? So, Because the story I told, I, I did a lot of research in prep for this show, and one of the streams of conversation I came upon said that there was a Mr. Petio 
who was an American bartender in Paris. Yep. So he was the guy who, in that bar, Russians started coming to Paris, and they were bringing Russian vodka. And so that's his first exposure. Then Americans are coming with this canned tomato juice, which was like a new thing. Right. It was very much especially, but rare in the 20s. And people associate Fernand Petiu with the creation of the Bloody Mary in Harry's Bar in Paris in the early 20s. However, canned tomato juice didn't become available until the late 20s, in mm-hmm. about 27, 28. While he does get a lot of publicity for starting that, yeah. he actually claims later on in a New Yorker article in the mid-60s <laughs> that um, an actual vaudeville entertainer by the name of George Jessel was the one who created the early version of a Bloody Mary. No, George Jessel Jessel, was a famous guy. He was a famous entertainer. He was a famous entertainer. He invented the Bloody Mary. Well, that is the wildest thing I've ever heard. He lays claim to it, yes. It's an interesting... (laughs) Why don't we lay claim to it? (laughs) Yeah. It seems to be the kind of world we're in now. You just lay claim to anything. I invented it. (laughs) I invented it when I was born. Yeah, without the Uh, the internet, you could have pretty much created, you know, know, scientific discoveries. Left and right, like the, uh, yeah, um, yeah. But but how fascinating. Yep. By the by the way, that patio was uh, Mr. Astor installed him at the King Cole Bar in New York and said, "Have at it with your Bloody Mary." That's and right. And he did, and it became famous, right? It became famous from that. Yeah. 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 I've been quoted in the past as saying it, but George Jessel kind of had the keys to the Cadillac, but Fernand Petiu pretty much took the Cadillac out in the highway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're great, Brian. Um, Okay, so we did the original Bloody Mary. We've agreed on the the history. And now I must take you to the third thing we have on the site, because, you know, when you hear this, you'll know. How can you not? Uh, It is the peanut butter and jelly (laughs) and Mary. So the PB&J and Mary. PB&J. Seriously? You know, know, if the apocalypse were upon us and people were burying (laughs) coffee cans in their backyard, I'd be burying a jar of peanut butter in my backyard. Listen, I'm afraid. Peanut butter. But I'm afraid if I have this, I'll be the Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen the Walking Dead, but I'm told it's quite the show. Um, In terms of entertainment value, this was created to entertain, like all the recipes in the book. And uh, I just love infusing spirits with peanuts. It comes across really well in vodka and tequila, especially. And it actually does wonders in bourbon. Would you walk us through this, how you infused your vodka with peanuts? I was very experimental, and I just wanted to push the boundaries, but also make it hopefully user-friendly for the home bartender. It's so easy to do, to do a small amount of peanuts that are unsalted in a 750-milliliter bottle of vodka or tequila. Let it sit for two hours, shake it once or twice, and then strain it out, and then you've got peanut-infused Can you really taste it? Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Wow. I feel like this would be a good Bloody Mary for, like, a mom's book club. (laughs) (laughs) We moms, we always have peanut butter and and jelly. jelly. With the age of Instagram uh, on us, that would be uh, an amazing drink to bank for the book club or any kind of club. (laughs) Okay, so then you have, with that peanut-infused vodka that any of us can make, then you are uh, adding tomato juice. Do you have a preferred brand, or you don't care? I guess Campbell's tomato juice is probably my best go-to, but um, uh-huh. it's different when you oh. compare 
canned tomato juice to plastic bottling tomato juice or uh, the glass version as well. Um, yeah. They come across different on your palate. But I like Sacramento. I like Campbell's. That's a famous um, one. So good on the tomato juice. Now, you put in a little bit of strawberry jam. Hot sauce, you like Cholula, Cholula for this one. Yeah. Cholula is not too abrasive. It's actually yeah. nice and balanced, so you can actually have a, a good dose of it. Yeah. And it complements the, the texture. Yeah, it's like a reference to heat but not burn. Definitely. Um, a squeezed lemon juice. Mm-hmm. And some Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. And so that's, it's not as if you are doing uh, some crazy thing where you're putting tablespoons full of peanut butter into the no. drink, which is what I thought this was going to be. No, no. It's really impressive how much the peanut and that strawberry jam elevates the the tomato, <laughs> the Worcestershire, and the Cholula. And really? Like, yeah. Well, tomatoes are fruit. Flavor. That makes sense. It is, yep. And they all play nice in the playground together. That's oh, the whole That's man. a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but just, you just have to try it. The book is called The Bloody Mary, Brian Bartles. We're going to take a short break right now. Stick with us, and we'll come right back with more food moves. for our free podcast that arrives in your inbox every week. Just go to foodschmooze.org for that. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province, and senior producer Robin Doyon Aiken. Our special guest is Brian Bartles, and we are celebrating Bloody Mary's any time of day or night. <laughs> that, that is our game here on the show. Um, Brian, how do you give a Bloody Mary party? Good question. You never know who's going to show up. Bloody Marys seem to attract people that you never expect, (laughs) which is great. more the merrier. And then do you provide the spirits? I'm hosting a party, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, obviously everybody has their own idea of what the greatest recipe is. And there's a little angle or accent to everybody's, their own special recipe that they like. That just brings a whole lot of variety to a, a party. I think something great that a guest could bring would be a little something to accent the party, like a hot sauce that might be unique that they really like. That oh, people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bringing mm-hmm. like Cholula to a party where maybe somebody might not be familiar with Cholula is a really cool way of opening new doors. Yeah, so, okay. Something like, say you have a beautiful garden in your backyard, you go into a, a friend's party, and you've got fresh dill. Fresh dill in a Bloody mm-hmm. Mary is one of the greatest Ooh. little accents right on Ooh. top of the, uh, the, the, the drink itself Ooh. for all the aromatics. It gives you an impression of the drink before you even taste it. Because you've been trying so many Bloody Marys and making them, can I ask you, I have this idea in my head that I would really like to try a Putanesca Bloody Mary. Oh, wow. Do you think it would work? 
Absolutely. You know, with the Kalamata olives, the anchovies, the tomato <laughs> juice, the <laughs> garlic, yeah. the capers, and just buzz it up. Lemon. Yep. Yeah. And that would be delicious. It's a little hot stuff oh, in there. Puttanesca Bloody Mary. Mm, I'm going to try it. <laughs> then we're going to have Brian back again. I'm going to have to try that, yes. And then we'll have a virtual tasting together and okay. see what we think. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Brian Bartles, uh, the Bloody Mary. Go to Facebook right now and start this conversation with how do you do your Bloody Mary? What special ingredient? Where do you go for the best Bloody Mary? Do you have a special mix? Everything. We want to talk Bloody Marys with you on Facebook. Here's where we are on Facebook. Faith Middleton, Food Schmooze. That's how you'll find us. And this book, the recipes from the book, information about the book at our website, foodschmooze.org. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, there's more on the show. You're just not going to believe what's coming up. But I don't want to stop yet on the Bloody Marys because we've now agreed to do part two. I am challenging all of us. There's no surprise with me. You know I'm going to try this Putinesca Bloody Mary. Robin, Alex, and Chris. And we're going to ask Mark Raymond. He's a Bloody Mary king, that guy over there. We're going to ask everybody to come up with what you think could be an original Bloody Mary. Because I'm guessing the Putinesca Bloody Mary hasn't been invented. Of course, it's probably right online if you Google it. But that's okay. I'm going to have to make it up from scratch. Look, he's Googling it. You invented it. it. Come on. I'm looking right now. Okay. So I wanted to mention what we used on a Bloody Mary we made in the studio and just tasted. And I'm going to take the top off the bottle and pour it into the dregs of my Bloody Mary glass. This is from... Waypoint Spirits in Bloomfield, Connecticut, they have created something called Labrador Noon (laughs) Spicy 13. And it is (sighs) vodka specially created for Bloody Marys. I had it only in the Bloody Mary we tried, and it was pretty terrific. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to have it in the glass all by itself to see if I can tell you what they've done. Be careful because it is spicy. Peppers. It is hot. Yeah, I don't know if I drink it just like that, Faith. Is it hot? (laughs) Can you still talk? (laughs) Yep. We'll have to take over from here as Faith regains her taste buds. Wow. You're blowing out fire. (laughs) On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the hottest. This is really something. 7? Mark Raymond said that it Uh, kicks your butt. This is, this is, uh, I would say this is a 7. 7, okay, it's got some heat. As 8, I probably wouldn't be able to tolerate it. And you wouldn't be going back for more like you are. No, there's something really, mm. Mm. That's when you know when you're making a dish. If you're making a spicy dish food-wise, that's when you know you have the heat at a good level. It hits you, but it doesn't hit you so hard that you don't go back. But what could be in here? Because this is a caramel-colored vodka. They could have grilled the peppers or roasted the peppers. In fact, on on their website, on Waypoint, it says that once you taste this vodka, you will not go back to the clear stuff. (laughs) Bloody Mary. Well, that's good marketing. This is really terrific for Bloody Mary. It's from Waypoint Spirits. They are low. Located in Bloomfield, Connecticut. And they're distilling. It's craft distilled Labrador Noon Spicy 13. Vodka with natural flavors added. Are you noticing that that there are these hot stores, hot sauce Mm -hmm. stores opening? In the North Fork of Long Island in the the town of Greenport, there's a hot sauce store. And And, and representative from everywhere on the planet are these hot sauces. You have to sign certain papers (gasps) to 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 try (laughs) what they claim is the hottest hot sauce in the world. Why would you do that? 
But that I love that vodka. We used it in the Bloody Mary today. Yeah, and it was it, good. Right, I love the it bottle. elevated. But do you the, need horseradish if you have this? Yeah, I think a little bit. But that's the cool because thing about it's this a recipe. Different profile. Yeah, and this recipe didn't have a lot, right? The barbecue yeah. one it had like a couple teaspoons in it, so it wasn't you like you brought loaded. like a pound of it. I brought a pound just thinking if we didn't have the spicy vodka, I wanted more heat. I will but, say my lips are burning. Nice. So, so that's good though. <laughs> that's when I you guess. know you got it right. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we go to our wine discovery, and it is a great one. I wanted to tell you about something I did recently, and I hope you will go to this because I did a documentary for Connecticut Public Television. It's with a woman who is so fascinating and represents so much. She is Carla Squatrito of Carla's Pasta. This is a Connecticut company that sells its pasta and sauces all over the world. I went to see this factory in South Windsor, Connecticut, because I had heard it was really quite amazing. I've been in some factories about food. I have never seen anything like this. Every ingredient is pure. They're from Italy. They will not accept anything else. Carla, now on in years, who's made this thing with the help of her sons into an extraordinary business. She came to America without speaking a word of English, married someone from the Manchester, Connecticut region. He was a lawyer then, Judge Squatrito. Anyway, I've done this documentary for the public television on her. And whether you are interested about learning how women succeed in business, the immigrant story about this food and manufacturing, there are so many aspects in this film. We invite you to a taste of the documentary, a cocktail hour dinner, a scholarship award presentation. That is Thursday, June 1st at 6 p.m., Hartford Marriott downtown. I will be there, of course. Would love to meet you. Tickets are $150 each. You need to make a reservation by May 22nd. I have a feeling this is going to sell out. Dress would be business attire. Her story begins in the small village of Madonna del Olmeto in Italy, and the way she started this business is really something. If you see Carla's pasta in the frozen department in the mm-hmm. buy it, I've eaten about 5,000 tons of this stuff because it is good food in the Italian way. And it's sold in many, many supermarkets all over the world. Okay, I hope you'll come. For the website to get tickets, that is CPBN, Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network, cpbn.org. Just click on events and it'll take you right to rehearse. So listen, in our next segment, there's a new film about the extraordinary number of restaurants and food trucks in New Haven and how good they are. So we're going to tell you about the film. We're going to meet the filmmaker. And so that's all fun. But for right now, I want to switch gears. I'd like to quickly talk about wine because we have a wine Mm -hmm. discovery here on the Food Schmooze. It is a wine I love. It's on our site, foodschmooze.org, so you don't have to memorize this right now. So it's Clos de Lumiere. A clos is a walled-in little vineyard, usually, or it can be part of the religious thing, I guess, but Lumiere is light. Okay, the And there's wall a cool little uh, gold uh, circle yeah. on it, and maybe well, hard gonna to take spell. A, we're going to take a picture of the label <laughs> for you, and we have it on the site. Put it on your phone and take it to the wine store, or just spell it for people. No one expects you to be able to pronounce every wine. I'm, I'm in French class now, so I'm wondering if my um, French teacher, if I should have done the liaison with Claude Des Lumières. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, listen, she's listening. <laughs> Points off. Okay, so yeah. Claude Des Lumières, and that's the name of the winemaker, mm-hmm. and then um, this this particular wine is Le Clot. 
Yeah, that's, again, one of those words, la clot, that doesn't mean anything to the consumer, but it means something to the winery. It doesn't matter, because if you just say what the vineyard just is, you Just say Clos de Lumiere is the producer, and that's how it'll appear in the and, beverage journal. And we journal. want the white. And this is the blanc. But here, this is a really exciting thing, because as we get into the warmer season and we start to crave whites more and mm-hmm. more— some of them just kind of leave me you know, just bored. Uh, a little bored. I adore this because it's white and it's rich. Mm. The trick of this is that's Cote de Rhone, a white Cote de Rhone. So that's why we brought it in because everyone knows red Cote de Rhone. Everyone thinks Famous. of red Cote de Rhone as, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's by the glass. You serve it slightly chilled. People like it. So when we had the chance to bring in a white, I thought this is really neat. It's kind of like Chateauneuf de Pop is known for red, but the white's are really rich and delicious. Yeah. Chateauneuf de Pop. So it's that same idea. Yeah. It's a blend. So let for- me just pour a little in the glass. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Talk while I do that. Yeah, for me, this was like porch wine. Right? Yeah. This is something you can t- have with a meal, but it's also a great glass of wine now that it's warming up. Yep. This Sunday, I'm going to sit on the porch and I just enjoy know. the fact that it is not snowing anymore. <laughs> so uh, this does have a dual personality or a multifaceted personality mm-hmm. at the very least because it's a, a white roan wine that it has incredible body and yet mm-hmm. it's sprightly in its taste you know a kind of sporty yet a richness which will make it go with everything imaginable this is such a food friendly wine and chris i agree completely it's also just a sipper mm-hmm. that you won't get tired of by the end of the first glass five thumbs up for me awesome. and now let's talk about price Sure. What did we say? That's the best part. Go to your favorite wine shop and they'll have it on the shelf for 14 They should anyway. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about this wine is mm, it has body. Is, oh. So like you said, so when you taste it, it's like thick like mm. Chardonnay. And then it has another grape. So it has no Chardonnay. It's Grenache Blanc, Bourbon Blanc, which is a fun one to say, and then uh, Viognier. And the Viognier is really perfumey. Mm. So when you smell it, it's like fruity this smelling. delicious. I just took a, a sip. Yeah. Delicious. I was, I was laughing thinking like, what would this go with? And I was thinking... Oh, southern Rhone food, like cassoulet or something. And I was saying, what are you talking about? This would go like with a picnic table. I mean, this is just like... (laughs) But it would go wine. I could have this with a grilled steak, too. Oh, yeah. Or just, you know, when you come home from work and it's a Stelvin, it has a screw cap, so it's easy to open. It's it's funny. I only look for those wines now. Can I say the grapes one more time? Because there's a Grenache Blanc, the white Grenache Blanc, 40%. And then the Viognier you mentioned, Alex, 40%. Help me pronouncing this one, and I'd never heard of this grape before. Is it Bourbonnac? Yeah, that's that's close enough. How do you say it? Well, with my French lessons. With your French teacher listening, Alex, give it your best shot. You know, so the the R is that guttural sort. So it's bon blanc is how I I think you would say. But I think if you went into and you said that like that, people would think you're crazy. Bourbon blanc. blanc. I wonder if you could kind of run it together. um, Bourbon blanc. It's the same grape that's used in – it's exclusively sort of grown. It's a rare grape in the south of France. It's also called blanquette. So that's maybe Mm -hmm. an easier way of pronouncing it. (laughs) The reason they use the three is Grenache, you know, a Spanish grape, likes heat. It has a lot of alcohol and low acidity. And then the Bourbon Blanc has a lot of acidity and a lot of aroma. Mm-hmm. So making a recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then the Viognier the has a lot of fruitiness, a lot of like perfume. And that's where the floral aroma comes off you the got wine. It. So they put all three together and they all fill in each other's voids. 
It's a recipe. So the Grenache without the acidity would be flabby and, you know, you, yeah. you would drink it and you would be missing the... And you get tired of it quickly. Yeah. Swordfish on the grill. Oh, that's oh, a fun oh, one. Oh, oh, oh. Oysters, you, I would even have it with oysters. Did you see oysters. the vintage? What year is it? 2016. Yep, very good. So we're going to put it on the website for you, foodschmooze.org. That's my spring to summer wine. I finding these wines on the show for folks. Is this one of the most exciting things it's, we do? And when it's under fifteen dollars, that's I think even that's better. Yeah. better. <laughs> I know it's just thrilling to me. So this is going to be my summer wine. I've yeah. decided. Always I'm keep a few in the refrigerator, dough. chilled, ready to go. Yeah. And yep. with all these wines that we always recommend, there's no weird additives. There's no like sugars added. No nonsense. This is all authentic, wholesomely made. It's the real stuff. Well said, Alex. And thank you so much for this discovery. Thank you. Yummy. Here we go. We have uh, the New Haven Film Festival selection that is celebrating food, food trucks in New Haven. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurant recommendations, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos, and the recipes we feature, we are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York. New York includes Westchester County, the East End of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. To hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Of course, you can talk with us on Facebook, too. The world premiere of this film is coming up, and it is called Food Haven. It was created by Jim O'Connor. He got a degree in film at Quinnipiac University, and he teaches media production over at Quinnipiac today. He loves food and cocktails and decided to make a movie about the incredible food that is in New Haven. And so we've been watching snippets, some of us able to watch the whole thing and have had the best time with this film. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. What started this? I mean, you could have done anything in love in light of your love of food and these creators who do this stuff. Yeah, I guess it was almost like five years in the making. So I lived in Los Angeles for the last two years, and I felt like the food culture out in L.A. is so celebrated. And when I moved back to Connecticut, I wanted to bring that same kind of feeling to New Haven because New Haven has given me so much joy and memories over the year, working as a bartender in the city and going to different restaurants with my friends. I wanted to try and give back as much as I could. New Haven is a hub for food. There are many places in the state, you know, for which this is true. But there is something special 
that goes on in New Haven, I think. Why is that? Is that Yale University and all the other colleges? I think it's a combination of everything. Obviously, the pizza is a huge underlying factor, but it's so much more than that. I think the loyalty of the local community, they love their food, they're proud of it. We want you to walk us through what we're going to see in the film when you go to the premiere. We'll tell you about that when that's happening. It's going to be shown twice in New Haven, in fact. If you're from New Haven, you may have some discoveries, but you may know these places. But if you're from outside New Haven listening right now, hearing what's going to go on right now in this conversation, you might want to come see the film and then try some of these places. Bring your notepad. I I learned of a new pizza place. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I learned a new pizza. So so here we go. How did you decide what restaurants to choose? Very tough. Very tough. I have a lot of great friends in the city that work at different restaurants, so I use their connections, my connections from working in the city, and just kind of what I enjoy. I tried to showcase that as much as I could. And also places that I felt like deserved more attention that maybe didn't get the appropriate amount of attention, I try to focus on them as well. Mm -hmm. And the people that are really doing the pure thing, you know, making things from scratch, especially those people that really enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. You showcased some great places, a lot of my favorites. You know, you. Uh, everybody knows I have, I have a crush on Jason Sobosinski. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. He's great. Now You're he right. knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he has his hand in so many different things. They have their brewery in Oxford now, you know, Casius. They have the food truck. And yeah. Ordinary has got a part of that. And, uh, yeah. There's yep. so many great things going on in New Haven. Awesome. I loved seeing that a lot of my favorite places because it was confirmation for me that I really am eating, <laughs> like, some of the best food in New Haven. I'm not <laughs> missing out on, on too much because yeah. it's... It's all yeah, my favorites I, I there. agree. Okay, so let's start with Mia's sushi. We certainly mm. have have mm. had um, <laughs> Bun Lai on the show. Oh, yeah. He's a wild man, and yeah. uh, he does really interesting things. So I think the last time we talked to him on the show, he had converted all the flatware and napkins and any paper plates they used. Everything had to be recyclable. Okay. So that was his new thing. Then it was sustainable stuff and what was grown where. He's obsessed with this, right? Yeah, you can't say enough about Bun Lai and what they do over there. Just very uncompromising, does what he think is right. And um, he found out that he was going to speak at the White House. He was like, you have to come down. I'm speaking tomorrow. And what kind of film would it be if I didn't go down there? So I went down there and got to see him speak at the White House. And just the fact that a restaurant from New Haven can speak at the White House oh, wow. for the mm-hmm. voice of the country cool. is a huge thing for New yeah, Haven. Yeah, I think so, too. Zinc and Kitchen Zinc, that's a place we all know here on the show. Favorite. Yeah, Very, yeah. very farm-to-table, beautiful space. Really good food. Very much so. And I had the pleasure of meeting one of the farms at the farmer market, and they talked highly about Donna and what they do over there at Zinc. Because some people, some restaurants say they're farm to table, but, you know, it might yeah. get diluted but over now, the way. Now, what, mm. what do we picture is happening when you go into Zinc, for instance? What, what are you shooting? Are you watching Donna cook, or do you have her standing someplace in the restaurant? I have an interview with Donna, and then I went back in Kitchen Zinc and filmed some of the pizzas being made because I know they're known for their farm-to-table, but they have great pizza there as well, so it was great to show that mm-hmm. lesser-known yeah. part of it, which is cool. So, Casius, we were just talking mm. about Jason Sobosinski, who's been on our show many times, who also has, we said, Ordinary, and he has a cheese truck, which is a hit at the farmer's market, <laughs> or really anywhere it goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to live in the cheese truck. As well. um, so what in particular did you do with him? Isn't um, he the best interview? He's the best. He was my favorite. He was the most charismatic. <laughs> he had the most great things yeah. to say, and he's yeah. so passionate about New Haven. Yeah. It's very hard to find people that are so passionate about you know a city. It's hard to find. And he's from here, right? And he's yeah, from here, born and raised. Just a great voice for the city. One I feel favorites. passionate about New Haven. Yeah, that's great. Anybody who, uh, you know, I spend 
time now in New York, on the North Fork of Long Island, and here in the city, and I adore it. I'm so proud when people come here to take them around. It's just the best city. It's cool for, for to art, take for on. food, yeah. for music. For ah, it's I, just incredible. I feel like part of the revitalization of New Haven is food. Yeah, like that's growing a, up on the outskirts, and then you know I've watched this food culture. Now you park your car and you pass four restaurants, going to the one you're eating at, and you want to stop at all three. But wouldn't you say that it is, Jim, a tough food scene? So many places are good. Rents are quite high, and there are more restaurants per square inch in New Haven than in any other city in the state of Connecticut. Very cool. So wow. it is. everybody wants to open in New Haven, but it's a very tough scene to crack into, right? Yeah, I would say it's the hardest business. It's incredibly tough. Hours are insane. It's fast-paced for 12 hours of the night. It's, it's incredible. And living in L.A., I noticed that industry restaurant workers may be actors or have some other kind of agenda. But here, a lot of the people that work in these restaurants, this is what they want to do. They want to open a restaurant one day. So they're super passionate about what they do, whether they be the busboy or the dishwasher. They're there because they care and they love the place and they love the family that starts it. You went to Tali, which Mm -hmm. is a favorite restaurant of mine, the Indian Mm -hmm. restaurant, which is a very Mm high-end Indian restaurant and bar. And Prasad Chernumala has been on the show many times. I know he's got a place in West Hartford, too, now. Yeah, just opened, yeah. Yeah. Just had dinner there. So good. Was it good? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> lucky <laughs> man. Uh, what's it called? So it's India. India, yeah. It's a beautiful restaurant. It's he's so, so talented. Yeah, and I think warm they just got nice. five stars there, too, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. He deserves okay, it. Okay, so what, do you, what did you want to find out from he Prasad? Does, he does a very raw kind of Indian food and something I think Indian food in general is something that most people don't know too much about and he really does a great job of making it approachable making it healthy and he's very passionate about it this is probably he's probably going to kill me for saying this (laughs) but um, the richest man in India actually flies in on a plane (laughs) to eat at Tali. Very cool. So I it is it. really good, really good food. He comes and in to tweet, I'm guessing, on his <laughs> private plane. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Of course, you went to Olea, mm-hmm. the Spanish restaurant, yeah. another Love favorite it. of mine. Yeah. yeah. Great people Just there. Incredible. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Juan Carlos. Such, He's one of the yeah. best chefs, mm-hmm. yeah. like, in the world. Forget yeah. about the and, state. Yes. Yeah. And all very humble. You know, very nice people, very humble. It's mm-hmm. kind of... Um, it's kind of a hidden gem, you know. Not a lot of people go down High Street that often. It's just a great overall establishment. Yeah, it never fails that people at Yale University who are being entertained for jobs they come from other <laughs> they places. Take them there. You go into Olea and you see all the job <laughs> interviews going on. You know, so people will say it's very cool looking inside. People, you know, yeah. this is in our city. I can see that, and the food's just terrific. The wines are killer. Oh. Um, okay, so tripletas. And more food truck. Tell Tripletas, me. Yeah. Tripletas. Yeah, they have so much passion in there. Um, I was lucky enough to stand on the back of the truck and just film, and I was kind of just like a deer in the headlights just watching. It's a, It was a whole family in there just doing their thing, and I would just well, Tell, tell us it. what they do. Describe what they do. So they do um, pinchos, which are kind of like barbecue skewers that they do, and then they have this, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it's called a hiberton, I think it's called. It's a sandwich where they tape mafungo. They yeah. make the mafungo fresh. That's Seven. Puerto Rican, right? Puerto Rican, yeah. yeah, so it's Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they smash it down. They smash oh. it down. Um, so they so have two good. almost like sandwich breads. They've yeah. deep fried a little bit. 
And then they put the pinchos, I think it's chicken or beef. Yep. They put it in the sandwich and make a yeah. sandwich out of the mafungos. The mafungos yeah. the bread and then That's you have plant, the meat. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Smashed, smashed fried <laughs> plantain. Mafungo is plantain, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, they take it and they smash it and then they fry it and then it that becomes the bread of the it's sandwich. Incredible. Do they yeah. deep it is, fry it? Yeah, or just in a quickly, grill? quickly just, yeah, deep it's like fry. A flash fry. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's oh my god, if and you did haven't you do had that it. interview over at the food truck place yeah. across from IKEA on the highway, right? On the side of the highway, overlooking the water. The best. I love to go there. Like yeah. my kid went to Quinnipiac, and I think we spent almost every Sunday there for like four years because yeah. where do you go on a Sunday afternoon for lunch in right. New Haven? And you're like, you can eat all this the flags flying. Oh, the flags, right? <laughs> I love it. It is the best place. And you just sit. Trucks going yeah, on. you bring a chair. <laughs> you yeah. take it out of the trunk, and you just <laughs> and it, sit on the side of the road. Yeah. You can't do a film on New Haven, and your film is called Food Haven, celebrating the restaurants, food trucks in New Haven that make it a destination for a lot of people. In addition to the theater here, so people are trying the restaurants, going to theater, going to the art galleries. Yes, and, and the museums. Pretty amazing. And so you can't do a film like this without focusing on Union League Cafe. Right. Just an incredible... Well polished, smart people, and just forever doing great now, things. right? Yeah, forever. Yeah, forever. Now. They care. Yeah, they're they truly care clear. about the ingredients. Jean-Michel, just gorgeous yeah, atmosphere. Jean Pierre Viamay. Yeah. Okay, let's see. You went to Partners Cafe. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to get as much perspective <laughs> about the city we're a as diverse city <laughs> as, as I could, and uh, yeah, I got a lot of flack for doing like you know, I went to bike shops and coffee shops that maybe aren't food, but. It has a Part lot to it. do. It's I everything. Like that. Everything came together. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about Partners Cafe? It's been there for a long time. It's been there for forty years. And that I didn't know. And the passion behind what they do there is incredible. And it's great to have a LBGT place that's available, that's comfortable in a city that's you know maybe not focused around that. So it's a great different perspective about this. And forty years ago was well, a different time. And exactly. That they're still yeah. here. That says a lot. So in 70s, asking well, it that yeah. way, here's what I meant because. I've been there a million times, but in the old, old days, and there was no cafe. And so that's why I said Partners Cafe. Right. When did that happen? So you what know, was you it? You mean Partners? A yeah. dance place. Oh, that you know, fun. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's a riot. <laughs> I mean, everybody. One night I saw Joan Baez there. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, if you wanted uh-huh. to dance, yeah. this is where you went. Oh, cool. There used to be, before that, there was a place called Neuter Rooster, uh-huh. where people came in from New York City to dance. Yeah. So it was just, these were the hottest dance So it's like places. a gay club? LGBT. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the 70s wow. and 80s, right, you're, yeah. you were talking about, right? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, crazy. It was just a, <laughs> but, but it was, cool. it, the dancing was so fantastic. It drew a crowd Everybody, of yeah. whether you were gay or yeah. not. Or yeah. Just unbelievable. Fun. Okay. Yeah. So it became a cafe. And Is the food good? No, that's just the name. I asked them as well. <laughs> no, the food is not good. <laughs> oh, no, they don't have food. They don't have food. Yeah. They don't have food. It's just called They don't have food. You're just being inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it was, I asked the same you, question. I was How's like, the what? dancing? <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> Wait, I see what it is. You go there, you dance, you get hungry. Exactly. Then you yeah. go out and eat. It's a huge avenue, yeah. You go to the Korean restaurant. What about if you really are hungry? All right, so... Delania Pizza. Yeah. One of my favorites, oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. See, that's yeah. two now. So when my kids started at Quinnipiac, I learned bar, and I didn't know what bar was. And mm. bar is like my favorite yeah. pizza place on earth Very now. good. Mm-hmm. And now I have a new one to try. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So tell us about Delania. I don't want to say it's my favorite, but it's a place I go probably the most out of all of them. Um, younger guys, super passionate. They do a lot of fresh pizzas, a lot of different things. You can really get anything you want there if you want and gluten-free. where are they? 
It's right down the street from Lorchio on State Street. Yeah, there's Claire's Cornucopia that people come back to eat there because <laughs> yeah. of their years. At I, when I see the sign when they opened, I still shake my head. 1975. But can I just say, I don't know if Claire talked about, did she talk with you about this thing that she's doing? Claire Criscolo, the owner of Claire's Cornucopia, wanted to give back. And feels bad that kids in New Haven, a lot of kids are reporting to school very, very hungry. So she said, I want to get parents and kids together, and I want to teach them how to cook on the cheap but really good food. Good for her. And that's what she does. And she's trying to get this. She's been doing it with Girl Scouts, and she wants to get this funded across the country and please fund this <laughs> because I think it is the best. Yeah, another um, another one, very modest. You know, she doesn't like to talk about the things she does like that because she's just very oh proud. Gosh, and so nice. Yeah. And 1975. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you did <laughs> I not walk by Claire's and not go in. I have to go in Oh, just get a muffin time. or something, right? <laughs> yeah. You do Pepe's and Sally's Pizza. You, you have to. Classic. Uh, you did Modern. You know, that's the that's other the one. Third. People yeah. fight about not, Modern. And then Louis Lunch, of course, you had to do that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh you did lorchio i think that is a really good italian restaurant yeah mm-hmm. I, love that place. Ju- I loved your your segment of watching him cook Thank i was you. mesmerized yeah. by the him. raviolis yeah true artist yeah. He, he's like yeah. born to do that yeah. Absolutely. This, this is jim o'connor he's the filmmaker and he decided to do uh, a film celebrating all the restaurants and food trucks and um gay dance bars and <laughs> <laughs> In New Everything Haven. that makes New Haven, New Haven. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's really a fun, wonderful film. And it will have its premiere on May 5th, the world premiere, because the New Haven International Film Festival cool. will be held. And it was chosen for that festival. And I want to say that people enter this festival from all over the world. Sure. I've known the people who curate this and test the films and watch them and choose. So it's a big deal a big to be honor. chosen for this. So congratulations, Jim. Thank you. And so Food Haven will be seen May 5th for the world premiere at 7 p.m. We say watch it and go out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, and to try to decide where to go. <laughs> and in May, if you're busy and you can't see this till June, on June 8th in New Haven, the New Haven Documentary Film Festival, which is free, You can check online to see exactly what time the showing is, but it will be June 8th, and same thing, go out to dinner. And I love this because somehow bikers are involved in this. Yeah, so it's the Elm City Cycling Organization. They set up an event where you can ride your bike around the city, go check out the food spots, and then you come watch the film, and then we'll talk about it and have a great night. Or do that backwards. Go see the film and then go out. I feel like you can't watch a film if you're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) And when you watch this, you get hungry. Yep. (laughs) You get really hungry. That's how you know you did it right, Jim. Thank you. Is there a map? We like so many of the places you chose. Good for you. Good for you. Don't we all feel so lucky to eat in this city? Mm-hmm. is one of the top food cities. Okay, Jim O'Connor, wishing you the best. Hoping Academy Award is in your future. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. Best documentary. Come on. Thank you very much. All right. We are on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.
Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And, of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. See you there.